Today I'm talking to Molly Martin, a writer, illustrator and textile repairer based in London. She's just published her first book called The Art of Repair and we spoke about how that project came about. The reason I found you online is because of your illustrations and I've spoken to quite a few illustrators on here over the years, uh, artists as well, and there's definitely a common theme. Someone, with, someone who is a visual artist will develop their style right from when they're a child. So could you tell me a little bit about your childhood in relation to drawing and how that developed into illustration? Yeah, um, so I, I'm glad you asked that because I always feel like it does always start at the beginning with childhood and I kind of mentioned that in my book as well of like it starts with your parents really and and kind of or maybe school um and I um I was always drawing my favorite thing to do was just to sort of sit at the kitchen table with a stack of paper and pens and just I would just lose myself doing it I think I was a bit of an airy fairy child and um, easily entertained by my own drawings and my brother's an artist as well but my dad's um a special effects model maker so he was always designing and drawing all sorts of different kind of mechanisms and inventions and um, so he was a really big inspiration and we used to kind of he used to kind of guide me through things and introduce new materials and ways to kind of work something out um, so I was always doing that and I never quite knew where I was going to go with it in terms of you know I always knew I was going to be an artist of some kind probably because I was rubbish at school and um, <laughs> when it came to academia I wasn't the one for it but um, I think illustration was something people other people told me I was going to be or, or was going to be good at because my both my aunties are illustrators from my mother's side and my dad's side and um, so when yeah so when I was kind of going into kind of college everyone wanted me to do illustration and actually I wanted to do fine art I wanted to be a painter um and do kind of oil paintings and stuff um but after a few interviews <laughs> at art schools um I, I think that I wasn't quite conceptual enough for them and um I remember going to one university with a with an oil painting of the silk vest and um and one of the sort of tutors said so um is this a self-portrait you know what's the meaning behind this and I was like no it's a it's just a painting of a silk vest <laughs> okay nothing uh hidden no hidden meanings there you just so wanted to draw just, a picture of a I, vest. Yeah. I just wanted to paint some silk and see if I could recreate that in oils and um I mean yeah it was pretty I and and then I actually that I did like five five fine art interviews and then um eventually I I chose I I had one illustration um interview which was at Falmouth University and um I just remember going into my interview and their faces were just an impression of me was just so obviously different from the fine art interviews I've been to and and they were like just so much more positive and like immediately was like oh okay I kind of guess everyone was right <laughs> um okay. and um yeah and so that's that's where I ended up doing my illustration I think the term illustration for me is always linked in with being quite professional I mm. think it would be weird to say oh you know my five-year-old son is a excellent illustrator it sort of seems like something some, you know it seems like a word that you only attach yourself to quite late 
in life maybe it's when you are working as an illustrator do you think that's fair oh yeah definitely I think that's really well put and yeah a, a really um accurate um point of view because I think that you're right I think that's probably the way I saw it I knew my aunties worked as illustrators but I wasn't working at my drawings um mm. it definitely feels like it's a job and it is a job like when um my one of the first uh lectures we had in first year illustration at Falmouth was um by the head of year and he said so you want to be an illustrator well you have to think about the other job you're going to have to have because oh no <laughs> Because freelance illustration doesn't come easy, and um, so immediately it was like, yeah, this is work. It's it's not it's not totally about expression, and I think that most illustrators I know find it kind of difficult to find that balance of kind of creativity, uh, working on your style, while also finding work. Because most of the time, if uh, if people if you've kind of developed a style, it's very difficult to move away from it because you get booked for having that style. Um, so it's really different to kind of, um, I share my studio with a printmaker called Catherine Jones and, um, I always feel a bit envious of the way she can kind of express herself through her work. Um, but, um, but when you get a good commission or, um, or, or a show, then it can be really exciting because I feel like that's, I always like to call, like think of myself as both an artist and an illustrator. An artist is the kind of more expressionist me and then the illustrator is the kind of job. Do you find that there is a little bit of maybe an element of not selling out, that might be a bit too strong, but a bit of just sort of hitting targets and things like that with illustration? Yeah, completely. I think it's, I think it's always... It's always there. It's particularly in terms of kind of the social media sense of um, if you're an artist, because there's an expectation, isn't there? I, I remember when I introduced my kind of repair work into my repertoire, um, and um, and I found it difficult because I knew that kind of the followers I did have on Instagram, for example, were there for for my drawings, and I was like, if I start putting pictures up of my repair work is that going to be like off-putting for them and it's such a weird thought to have because you're like this is just my little space and I can fill it with whatever I like but then you also do have that responsibility of kind of yeah pandering to um to your audience who you're always grateful to have so it's um yeah it can be a difficult balance I've always found that that's kind of strange. That kind of reminds me of how people get so frustrated when actors and musicians and people like that will start being political in their posts. And they're yeah. just quite frankly comment saying, oh, you, can you just stick to what we like you for? Mm. And it's just like, this is a whole human being. I think you know they have the right to not just only live by the one thing that you're following them for. And it's, I don't yeah. know, I think it's fair that you should be able to put more than just one thing on there. It's, you know, no one's policing it, are they? No, not at all. And I think that you end up policing yourself and then that can be quite um, stifling. Um, and um, yes, I mean, I feel like we've all had those feelings or conversations as artists of just being, yeah, just being probably overly aware of um, what you're putting out rather than like how it makes you feel. The Like, you know, the process of making it in the first place can get, um, you can get distracted by kind of the outcome that you're searching for. Um, so it can be, yeah, so I think it's really important actually to try and be authentic and 
and I kind of I I was thinking this the other day I was doing some um oil pastel drawings of my boyfriend Tom and I want and I and I messed up loads I was making all sorts of mistakes I did probably about 20 drawings but about but three three were were kind of I liked about three of them in the end and I was searching so desperately for for something I, I liked and I um and I was really and then afterwards I sort of felt like god that was really weird it's quite feverish sometimes you can be really searching for the perfect drawing and um and when it doesn't come you feel really disappointed and it's weird because I'm completely an advocate an, an advocate of making mistakes because that's how you learn um so I have to remind myself to make mistakes and do bad drawings because that's how you find the good stuff I imagine it must be really difficult as a working illustrator artist someone who's working to someone else's specification mm. to do a piece of work and then send it off really happy with what you've done and then they come back with quite brutal and frank <laughs> notes saying can you move that change the color of that it's not just yeah. oh it's not quite my style I don't love the work you, you know it's not like a taste mm. thing it's like a really mechanical chop that part of it out that kind of thing yeah and that happens all the time and it's always really I mean sometimes you can get a commission and they just love it and that's brilliant um but yeah you know, I had one recently and um and I was really happy with it the worst is the worst thing is when you've done something and you really like it <laughs> mm. and um and I'd worked really hard on it and and really I, and because also in the back of your mind, you're you're thinking, I, this is for someone else to use. I wouldn't be doing this otherwise. Like I've been asked to do this piece of work for a certain company or whatever it is, and it has to tick certain boxes. But at the same time, you're thinking, I want this, to, whatever I do and make, I hope it's going to go into my portfolio because I'm spending a lot of time on it. And I want to create a new piece of work that I can then put on my website or kind of you know because then that leads to more work the more work you do leads to more work and um versatility comes out from kind of the more work you do and um but anyway yeah it was a it was a total classic where I, I sent it off and was like there you go I've I've ticked every box I'm sure you're really happy with and she came back and was just like, "This isn't. This isn't what I want. I want different oh, colours. <laughs> I want I the cat." And she was, and and it was, and she was, she what she wanted was something based on a, an, on a piece that I'd done in like 2019. So it was particularly difficult because I'd I was like, "I'm going to take elements from the old drawing, but obviously I can't draw like I used to. It's it's really difficult to replicate your old style, even though it's you." <laughs> um, <laughs> So it that that can happen, and I um I've yeah sort of had that conversation with illustrators before of just how it's frustrating because people um want your old stuff as well, and you're kind of like I don't I don't actually know how to do that anymore. I wouldn't know how to like recreate something. BBC Hello, lovely listeners of the Who's Flying the Plane podcast. My name is Adam Crowther, and I present on BBC Radio Bristol. The show I present is a programme called Upload. It's a place for anyone who is making, creating and doing stuff to send us what they're making and get it featured on the BBC. So you could be a podcaster, a musician, a poet, a comedian. Maybe you've got your own blog. Record it, upload it and make 2021 the year that you get featured on the BBC. All you need to do is head to our website, bbc.co.uk slash upload 
for more information. Upload with Adam Crowther. You mentioned that someone said to you, what's your other job going to be while well, you're an illustrator? And you do actually have another job and you are very much involved with mending textiles and fabrics and people's belongings that maybe look a bit ropey and they'll take them into your studio and you'll fix them. Mm-hmm. It's a job by job thing. It's very hands-on and you're working with the client to do exactly what they want. And it's this experience and this work that led you to actually write a book on the art of repair, which I actually, your publisher very kindly sent me a copy of and I've been reading through it. And it's such a lovely book because you've got, it's not just an instruction manual on how to fix specific things, but there's also sort of insights about the culture of looking after your things and making them last a full lifetime and really caring for your possessions. And there's things like quotes from people about their own personal things. Mm -hmm. And I really like this one from Grayson Perry. He said, he was a benign dictator of my imaginary world, a kind of idealized father figure, leader, and possibly God. And that's just him talking about his childhood teddy bear. And I think that really shows how important objects can become to people and how sort of upsetting it must be when people might say, oh, why don't you just chuck it away? And Mm. it must be so nice to be able to give something new life. Mm. So could you tell me some of the stories that you've enjoyed the most from working in that kind of world? Well, yeah, that's kind of a really big part of this book, actually, in... um it's yeah you describe it well because it isn't just simply a guide to mending with techniques it's a it's kind of I wrote it as a guide for inspiration so something where uh because it's a collection of stories history and techniques and um and I wanted it to be something that could be flicked through and and the reader is left with a sense of um contemplation maybe they're taken back to an item of clothing in their wardrobe long forgotten maybe a hand-me-down or something really special or maybe even just their favorite pair of jeans that they haven't they just couldn't bear to throw away because they're so special or perfectly fits them or um, sentimental in some way and um, this all kind of started because I was collecting these repairs which kind of began with just repairing things for friends. And I realised quite quickly that if you ask anyone, pretty much, they'll always say, yeah, they have something that they can't quite throw away. Um, I'm, um, I'm really interested in, I'm really interested in it. I, I, I find it fascinating that we are living in an age where we are completely surrounded um, and you know sometimes infatuated with the new and the ready-made um it's never been easier to replace something you can you can go online and order something new and have it delivered to you the same day um and the rate of these kind of how things are made is is kind of blistering um so when you start talking about old things and the thing, despite the availability of new stuff around us, um, it becomes very touching and uh, moving because most of the time it's things that have a story um, that's linked to, you know, maybe it's, it belongs to someone who's, who's passed away or um, it's a memory that's wrapped in a kind of holy old jumper that takes someone back to their past or for, of someone special. So the stories that I've collected over time, um, 
wouldn't really have fitted in the book if there was almost too many of them. <laughs> but um, I've been collecting them for most of my life by talking about by talking about sentimental objects and things um, from teddy bears that um, are taken long into adulthood um, to uh, your favourite pair of slippers even and. Um, and most, and there are kind of I've spoke, spoken to a lot of people about their beloved things which they can't, th- you know, that they can't throw away, or even worse, that they've lost. Some people lose their favourite things. There was a girl I spoke to who lost a scarf that once belonged to her mother who passed away, and it was her last keepsake. And that the thought of that is so heartbreaking. And I'm so interested in how a piece of textile can carry such weight um and some of the stories in the she uses um contrasting colors and threads to kind of really highlight the broken garments that she mends exquisitely um and then there's some other amazing people like claire wellesley smith who's a slow stitch um artist and researcher who looks into kind of the real mindful psychological aspects of how important and good slow stitch work can be for for the mind. Um, But then there's also my own repair clients. So um, I work, as you say, as well as an illustrator, as a textile repairer, um, and I have done for a number of years. And um, every time I get something through through the door um, in my studio, I kind of collect uh the feeling of it the smell of it sometimes um and the story behind it so where it where's it from when did you get it and how does it make you feel why is it important um i've had a, and i've i've got these people who continuously send me their things now which is really sweet um including someone in the book called cat and um she she was one of my first repair clients when I invented this job for myself. Um, and she she gave me cat basically gave me this jumper. It had two hundred holes in in it. And I and I said to her, okay, um, this is probably gonna like take quite a long time, and I'm gonna have to charge you maybe more than you you know bought the cardigan for is you know originally. And um, and she said it doesn't matter it. I, I've had this cardigan for however many years I bought it on this trip when I was you know away and I was it reminds me of my kids and I, I was pregnant at the time and like there's always a story and um and I the 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 kind of gratification I get from being able to mend something like that and then give it you touched back on the sort of psychological great. aspect it's of really, fix, it and there's a, a Harvard study you mentioned in your book that talks about the relaxing impact of fixing things and just taking things slow and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it made me realize reading about it that not only have we found, you know, in our current society, we found plenty of modern things to become stressed about, but not only that, we're also sort of giving up on things from the old way of doing things that relaxed us. Mm. So it's this really, really strange thing where everything we're doing, we're adding to the stress and taking away is sort of pretty dangerous stuff. Yeah. And I think I can speak from experience and say that it's immensely satisfying to fix something. And you do get a sort of weird sense of pride that you manage to do it off your own back and stuff like that. And it's only simple. You know, I'm talking about like fixing a piece of furniture or oh, something yeah. like that. 
and it's immensely rewarding mm. and I think the fact that we've ended up with people's first impulse when doing when breaking something it's like ah oh, god I've got to get another one yeah yeah it's a pretty dangerous mindset because it's not only you wasting time and money and I don't know I feel like you could easily just learn to fix it and not only have you saved all that stuff you're not wasting anything you've also given yourself a little you know a little lift from a little boost from using a bit of your brain that probably sits stagnant for the rest of the week sort of thing and it's yeah I think yes. it's really important absolutely I think um this is yeah you're kind of touching on probably my most kind of um the subject I find particularly engaging um when it comes to repair and and the workshops that I've developed when I teach it um I dance around certain subjects and and one of them is slowing down um, to get away from our fast-paced lifestyles because it's really difficult to do hand stitching quickly. Um, the other part is perfectionism. So that's about kind of act actively... Well, it, we live in a modern world where, uh, which started with Roman ideals of kind of perfectionism, symmetry, uh, the everlasting, and we're actively told to avoid the ageing process. Um, not only that, in education, when we go to school, we're constantly comparing ourselves. Um, we're, we're, we're told that grades are the thing that matter and count. Um, and we are, like our souls are, are kind of strung up to that um, expectation. And um, that leads really, you know, on into later life. And it makes us feel like, actually, maybe I don't really know how to do this because I don't have a grade um I don't have a kind of qualification um a lot of the time in my workshops people say it when I was doing it face to face people would compare immediately just naturally compare themselves to each other and say they'd put their hands up and say I've never been a creative person by the way um I'm not a creative person and I, I've never got I've, I've never done anything to do with sewing and I would always say um, it might surprise you that I also don't have any professional training in textiles. I didn't study textiles. Um, I've just taught myself most of this stuff. And um, so perfectionism is a huge problem in the modern world. Um, and then the other part of it um, for me, which is what you've kind of brought up, is about using our hands, um, the confidence we can get from fixing something ourselves. Um, I remember my dad telling me when I was young how important it is to learn to change a tyre in your car. <laughs> um, and because I was driving from Somerset to Falmouth most of the time and it was a good old three-hour three, three hour journey and I was driving a ropey old thing. And um, I um, I remember my dad telling me, yeah, just that... Um, he because he's he's kind of a bit of an engineer special effects guy like I said earlier and so he when he was young um he took his car apart not which is a bit weird um and just to figure out how it worked and so he but he said that after that because he knew how his car was put together it gave him a sense of confidence when he was on the road with it because he just knew how he knew what was going on underneath his feet and um and I remember him saying, that's why you need to learn how to change your tyre, because when you're driving, you're not going to worry if something happens because, you know, to, to your tyre, because you'll be able to fix it yourself. And that will give you a confidence and lessen your anxiety. And I think that that's a really good example of how I see our general 
anxiety in modern world you know we're, we're living in a time of serious uh well there's no other better word for it anxiety of just general anxiety and feeling a sense of uh disconnection from the things that we own um and I believe that that comes from not really understanding how things work and are put together, but also where things come from. And when you know those things, when you know the basic facts of how to put something together and how to mend it, it gives you not only a confidence in your own abilities, but a sense of... Molly, what would you like to choose as your Who's Flying the Plane hidden gem? Okay, so I I think I'd like to choose um, this really lovely, wonderful radio programme, which was on um, BBC4 a few months ago. Um, it's called Stitching Souls, and it's all about the, um, the, uh, the ladies, the community of quilt makers in G's Bend in Alabama, who make the most incredible quilts out of scraps and pieces of cloth and fabric and they've been doing it um for for absolutely years um and i write about it in the book and the work that they make is truly authentic and beautiful um and in this radio program one of the um journalists from the bbc goes to um experience the community where they run workshops and they and um stitch a quilt as a way of um learning about the skill and the community, but also to kind of reconnect with your own story and uh, make something beautiful. And there's some beautiful singing in it. Um, It's really worth a listen. I really enjoyed it. Molly, could you please tell the listeners where they can get a copy of your book and keep up to date with what you do and find everything about you online? Um, So you can get a copy of my book the Art of Repair um, from various places online. I've actually got a link on my website. I think that's the best place to go to. Um, and it's just under um, the link which says books and then Art of Repair. Um, and uh, you can um, you can find it all there. Perfect. Thanks a lot for chatting to me today, Molly. You're welcome. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks.